This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What fathers are passing down to their kids that could be harmful to their health? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Shocking surveillance video showing the moment a truck hits a cyclist in West Vancouver and keeps on going. Good evening and thanks for joining us. It happened last night on a street popular with cyclists. The victim now recovering from serious injuries and police need the public's help identifying the driver. Jennifer Palma joins us live with more on this. Jen, the irony in all of this is that many cyclists use that very route because it seems safer than Marine Drive. Yes, they do. But as you can see, there's traffic moving constantly behind me. It happened just where that white vehicle is stopped there. And that was just across from the road where there is a sign asking cyclists and motorists to share the road. A hit and run caught on surveillance camera. This isn't going to be good. Oh, oh dear. Yeah, no. A cyclist is struck. The impact so severe it knocks off his helmet. What looks like a black Ford F-150 truck doesn't stop and leaves the scene. We heard this, this screech and then the mass whomp. Like, you know, you knew something hit. He was just lying there on his back. He wasn't even moving. His bike was clearly um, um, wrecked. Uh, it was just a mess. His shoe, his shoe was off. His, uh, his helmet, he was wearing a helmet. I think I heard a car screech. So it might have been the, turned out, I, I hear a truck that uh, took off, didn't, didn't even stop. The incident happening Saturday night at 8.30 along the 1900 block of Bellevue Avenue in West Vancouver. It's a popular route for cyclists getting away from busy Marine Drive. I cycle along here, yes, because this is better than Marine Drive. There's less traffic, but it is a busy road. I've seen a few honks and yells come from cars to bikes, but it's usually just with like groups of cyclists that kind of get in the way. Police say the cyclist is a 48-year-old West Vancouver man. He was taken to hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. As for his carbon fiber bicycle, it's mangled, and police say witnesses saw damage on the passenger side of the truck. That driver described as a middle-aged Caucasian male. Police are investigating if road rage was a part of this scenario. We'd also be very interested in hearing from anyone who may have been one or two or three blocks east of here prior to the collision time. And if they, in particular, maybe noticed, was there anyone who appeared to be in conflict, a cyclist uh, and or driver of, of a similar type of vehicle? It's pretty incredible video. Jen, what do we know about the victim's condition tonight? Well, luckily, he has been released from hospital earlier today. His family says that he's groggy and suffering from several fractured ribs, as well as extensive bruising, especially after the hit that he took. You can see that for sure. Um, he's also being assessed for head injuries. Police are asking for any witnesses to please come forward and give them some help in this case. You can call West Vancouver Police. Sophie, back to you. All right, Jen Palma in West Van for us tonight. Jen, thank you. A small plane with four people on board that crash-landed in North Vancouver late yesterday afternoon ran out of fuel. That today from the Transportation Safety Board. But the pilot tells a different story. Grace Key joins us live. And Grace, you just spoke with the pilot, and he told you he checked that fuel before takeoff. 
Yeah, he's, you know, he says he made all those necessary checks, including checking the fuel, using the stick as well, dipping it in, just to take a look at the, uh, just to physically take a look at the fuel level. So he said he did all of that. So he can't explain how he did uh, run out of fuel. He's thinking that there could have been some other issue. Looking at the damage, it's hard to believe four people walked away from here. The worst injury, a broken arm. Pilot Octavio Hernandez Garcia was flying his three passengers back to Langley after spending some time in Tofino yesterday. When he got to Lionsgate Bridge, he knew something was wrong. I, I just saw the loss of power, a uh, very rough sound on the engine. So I, I, I knew I had a, an, an emergency. Octavio tried to restart the engine several times. He thought he had engine failure. So at 2,000 feet, he called air traffic control to declare an emergency. Landing on the upper levels highway was his first possible option. Unfortunately, it was 4 o'clock on Sunday, so it's rush hour. And that's when I, I just said, it's not a chance to land among the cars, right? I have a park on my left, left hand side, so I look at the park. The only problem, since it was a beautiful day, so many people and families were having a good time in the park and it wouldn't have been nice to land on top of them, right? Octavio headed south to an industrial area north Vancouver by Phillip Avenue. He debated landing on a roadway or parking lot, but saw power lines and a fuel truck turning. Dropping 100 kilometers an hour, he had to make a quick decision. At 600 feet, it was really hard to make uh, another decision. You are basically just, just above the trees. So I just turned left uh, towards a parking lot and, um, and well, that was my plan at, at the last moment to, to land there. Octavio isn't sure what went wrong, but the Transportation Safety Board concluded the pilot ran out of gas. Octavio believes he had more than enough to get back. Even with a strong headwind or, um, or something, I, I don't really think a, that kind of plane would have consumed 20 gallons in an hour. Did you check it? Good to see him up and about. Grace, what else do we know about the pilot's experience? Yeah, so Octavio said that he did get uh, his pilot license recently. That was in April at a flight school in Langley. He said that uh, previously he'd sort of been flying, uh, you know, off and on a little bit uh, since 2010. His background is also as an aircraft mechanic, so he says he's certainly been around planes uh, a lot. So he's really questioning what happened. He believes that he had enough fuel, so he's wondering if there was another issue. All right, thanks for that. Grace Key reporting for us tonight. Meantime, the search for a missing plane in the B.C. interior entered day five today. Crews in a race against time to find a young couple who disappeared while en route to Kamloops. The faint sounds of an emergency beacon have been detected, but Ted Trenecki explains what obstacles are hampering the search. Back from another day of searching, this time with clear skies and the mountaintops visible. But the search area is enormous, considering the missing aircraft could be anywhere between Cranbrook and Kamloops, and the fact there was a line of thunderstorms approaching from the south on the afternoon the couple took off. But today, they did hear an emergency locator beacon. The, the signal is very, very weak, uh, and it was uh, in a very large area again. So it, it kind of confirmed what we were thinking in that there are there's something there, and it's worth more investigation. A weak signal can indicate a broken antenna or weak battery. A good signal could communicate a precise location and even contact information. Sidney Robillard and Alex Simons are both 21 years of age. He had just got his private pilot's license in March and had only 60 hours flight experience. 
The other obstacle facing searchers today is the missing plane is white and there's still a lot of snow at higher elevations. A white aircraft on snow is difficult to see. Um, with these high, you know, high uh, cliffs, high canyons, uh, crevasses, um, it's, it, it's, it can be difficult to search. The flying community has been out in force helping the search. 16 aircraft, 50 volunteers, 70 military personnel. But ask anyone who's ever tried spotting something from the air. If you're lucky, you'll see telltale signs before you see the aircraft itself. Uh, broken treetops, uh, uh, you know, uh, patches uh, of, of debris or, uh, that, that don't look like they fit. The good weather is expected to hold in the Cranbrook area at least for another day or so, and flight crews do have at least something to focus on. We, we have something, and it requires investigation, so uh, we're sending more assets to it, and we're going to beat up that area as much as we can, in case it is. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Breaking details now about a shooting outside a busy restaurant in Langley over the weekend. The integrated homicide investigation team identifying the victim tonight. Catherine Urquhart is live with the details on that. Catherine, I hit naming 31-year-old Tyler Joseph Pastic. That's right, Sophie. I hit just confirmed to us that Tyler Pastic died on Friday night. It was just before midnight when he was shot near the Brown Social House at 200th Street and the Langley Bypass. A second person was also shot but survived. Police say that they are very concerned by the brazen nature of this shooting. However, they do believe that it was targeted and they note that Pastic has a record. I can confirm that he has a criminal record for manslaughter and uh, assault-related offences. We do everything we can as police to uh, apprehend those responsible. Uh, and in some cases, we require the help from the public to help us put those puzzles, puzzle pieces together. Police are hoping to collect more information on this file so that they can make an arrest. If you have any information at all, you are asked to call IHIT or Crime Stoppers. Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks for that, Catherine. More tonight on a five-vehicle crash in Golden that closed Highway 1 late last week. RCMP are investigating weather as a possible factor in the crash that claimed the life of a 40-year-old man. And as John Hua reports, there was a tragic twist to this already devastating story. My heart just... How do you describe the loss of a family torn apart by tragedies exactly two years apart? He's gone and uh, he's with Mariam. He is with Mariam. That's the only way that I can uh, believe that he's in peace maybe. It was two years ago to the day Mariam Rashidi was killed in Calgary trying to stop a gas and dash theft. Her husband Ahmad Naruni Shalow heading back there from Vancouver to mark the heartbreaking anniversary when tragedy struck again. Apparently because of the heavy rain on the road, his car was actually um, out of the road to the other side, so he had the collision. Shalot was killed in the multi-vehicle crash on Highway 1 near Golden Thursday evening. His new wife, Somaye, and seven-year-old son, Karosh, both survived. It's so hard to believe that, I mean, such a thing can happen to a family. We we're all devastated by the event. Despite suffering only a few bruises, a seven-year-old boy is now left trying to comprehend how both his parents could have been taken away. It's like in movies. Like you can't even imagine uh, such a tragedy happening to a kid. 
Despite the struggles of starting a new life in Vancouver, friends say Shalot stayed in Canada to honor Rashidi's wishes for their son. You have big hope for your kids when you immigrate. And Maryam and Ahmad, they both had lots of things for Kurosh. That dream of a life in Canada now put into question by such devastating loss. John Hua, Global News. Well, the city of Vancouver unveiling the future of housing along the Canby Corridor. Phase three of the plan revealed today will deliver more than 11,000 new homes with a focus on rental housing, townhomes and row houses. The city says more than 4,000 of those will be affordable units. We've already done, uh, approved, and are in process uh, with over 10,000 homes in phase one of Canby Corridor and phase two that are being built out. The three phases altogether will double the population in the Canby Corridor. Meantime, the city of Vancouver also on the hot seat tonight as critics question why an SRO on the downtown east side was in danger of falling down before serious action was taken. The Balmoral Hotel has had a long history of mismanagement. Tanya Beja explains how the city defends itself today as residents of the building moved out. Some of Vancouver's most vulnerable residents are forced away from a building no longer safe to call home. Oh, it's horrific. It's not even fit for human living. Nikki is one of 150 people evicted from the Balmoral after the owners let the downtown Eastside property fall into a state of disrepair. They started letting the squatters in and they started letting the building go and that was it. And the building, I watched it fall apart. The building owned by the Sohota family has been on Vancouver's radar for years. But it wasn't until this month that city staff declared the Balmoral at risk of collapse critics are slamming the mayor for not acting sooner. There are literally dozens of SROs just like this. The Sohotas own four of them. They're all falling apart because the city continues to have this revolving door policy of inspections. We need better leadership. We have been in courts. We've been uh, pursuing legal avenues for years now to crack down on slumlords. The city doesn't have effective enough tools to turn this situation around. Mayor Gregor Robertson now calling on the province to help boost the city's enforcement power. We don't have the ability to fine for more than $10,000 from the BC government, so the city's uh, enforcement tools are very limited. The Sohotas did not return our calls, but they issued emergency settlement checks to compensate tenants for the move. I just got a $1,500 check. BC Housing, the city and local advocates have found new homes for all but 16 of the Balmoral residents. Now I think the healing can start to begin, right? Now that everybody's out of the hotel. Tanya Beja, Global News. It's one of the most popular peaceful strolls in Metro Vancouver, but now it comes with a warning. The Centennial Seawalk in West Vancouver is always packed on a nice day. But the district and CN Rail, which owns the property, have been engaged in a battle over its use. Why this waterfront walkway could become increasingly risky in just over a minute. You're listening to the Global News Hour at 6 on News Talk 980 CKNW. Bill Cosby's fate is now in the hands of a jury. Defense calling one witness, then providing a dramatic closing argument. How long Cosby could spend in jail, still ahead. And a Second World War-era British Spitfire crashes at an air show in France. We'll tell you what happened and how spectators jumped into action later on the news hour. 
Well, the ongoing battle over a Metro Vancouver seawall is ramping up with local residents now being warned to use it at their own risk. Global's Jeff Hastings is in West Vancouver to tell us why. Jeff. That's right, Sophie, and the district of West Vancouver has been very clear as to why the changes have been made here on the Centennial Seawalk. Signs have gone up explaining the dispute between the district and CN Rail. It's all over this piece of property that has been enjoyed by locals and visitors alike for almost 50 years. There is a sign on West Vancouver's Centennial Seawalk that's making people's blood boil. I think it's outrageous. Sounds like extortion to me. The sign is a public shot fired by the city in a legal dispute with CN over access to not quite two kilometers of West Coast Wonder. It's about a lawsuit filed in BC Supreme Court by CN Rail looking to limit use of the seawalk and seeking annual financial compensation. I think that it is a money grab and I think that that is their main goal. This is the seawalk. How can you try and take that away from the community for profit? Right beside the seawall is a rail line leased by CN. The rail company doesn't own it, but it's theirs long-term, a deal signed by the B.C. Liberal government as part of the B.C. rail sale more than a decade ago. I know it's a private corporation, but I think the federal government and the Canadian Transport Commission step in and just snap their, wrap their knuckles. The District of West Vancouver has built up the area over the years, made improvements and maintained the land around the line while paying rent here and there, something they're offering CN but only a fraction of what's asked. I think it's, it's part of the public and it should stay in the public. I grew up in West Vancouver and this is one of the, the gems that it has. A statement from the rail company reads, CN has offered mediation to the district in an effort to find a reasonable solution. We continue to believe a negotiated resolution is preferable to a litigated one. The residents of West Vancouver will continue to enjoy the seawalk throughout this process. The district has been advised not to comment on the merits of the dispute while it's before the courts. Some 42,000 people live in West Vancouver. CN wants $3.7 million a year for access, or about $87 a person. So that $3.7 million per year rent number is obviously raising a lot of eyebrows around here. Where it comes from, the district maintains, is potentially residential land value nearby, which, as most of us know, is among the most expensive in the entire country. Back to you. That's for sure. All right. Thanks for that, Jeff. Premier Christy Clark unveiling her cabinet today, including five new ministers. But their time on the job could be short-lived. Keith Baldry tells us who was sworn in and when the NDP-Green Alliance is expected to challenge the government. There was minimal fanfare, no pomp and ceremony, just the B.C. Liberal cabinet, which includes six new faces, arriving at Government House today for a somewhat subdued swearing-in ceremony. And bear true allegiance. And bear true allegiance. To Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. To Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. Queen the Premier spoke softly as she was re-sworn into office as Premier, the first woman ever re-elected to a Premier's office in Canadian history. I swear. I swear. And then other members of her 22-member cabinet followed, some familiar faces. And some not so familiar. Ellis Ross as Minister of Natural Gas Development and Minister Responsible for Housing. Later, the Premier said while it is apparent her government may not survive a confidence vote within weeks, she felt it important to stick to conventions such as swearing in a cabinet. 
And we all expect, me included, that we, the government is unlikely uh, to win a confidence vote. But should we do that, um, then we do have a responsibility to be in a position to govern. And she noted with the other side potentially boasting a tiny one-seat majority, her party had to show it is still ready to govern just in case. Politics is is a business where the unexpected always happens. And um, my job is to provide stability and focus and be thinking about the future in the midst of what is inherently an unstable uh, business. All right, Keith Baldry joins us live with more on this. Realistically, Keith, how long can this cabinet survive? Well, probably about two, two and a half weeks, I would give it, maybe three weeks uh, at, the, at the most. Uh, but now you heard the Premier talk about the unexpected. And keep this in mind, folks, we are in completely new territory here. With a one-seat majority, uh, the NDP and the, and the Greens cannot afford any absences when that vote on that speech, the throne speech, occurs uh, sometime after the 22nd. If a Green Party uh, MLA or an NDP MLA is, is homesick, uh, or is across the street for a coffee, uh, the Liberals could call a snap vote and they would win that vote, which means they would maintain confidence. So on paper, not a short uh, time frame for this uh, cabinet, but uh, you never know. Again, we're in unexpected territory. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. At right. the same time the Premier was swearing in her cabinet, John Horgan was renewing his party's commitment to tackling the opioid crisis. It's past time that we had dedicated resources focused on trying to address this challenge. And that's the objective today is to have an opportunity to talk to people about the challenges they face. The NDP leader meeting with families who lost loved ones to illicit drugs and outlining his party's plan to take action, advocating for the creation of a minister responsible for mental health and addiction. <laughs> Well, the U.S. Attorney General is set to reveal what he knows in the Russia investigation. Also ahead, the defense rests after just six minutes. What the future could hold for Bill Cosby. But first, why this excursion into the woods is more than just a vacation for these campers. That's next. Busy on Highway 1 eastbound through the Burnaby Lake stretch right now. Just recently cleared a multi-vehicle accident just before the Douglas Road overpass. And that's why we're seeing some slowdowns right from the Cassiar Tunnel. Got a project to take on this summer? Do it yourself doesn't mean do it alone. Get all the tools, supplies, and advice you need at Home Hardware. Here's how. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. You're listening to the Global News Hour at 6 on News Talk 980 CKNW. Getting back to nature can be a rejuvenating experience for body and soul. As Paul Johnson reports, Vancouver's Union Gospel Mission has discovered that Mother Nature can heal even the most debilitating afflictions. Loading up the van hitting the road for the mountains. Jonas Gwinander and Tom Sauls are headed for a night of camping in Garibaldi Park. Nothing unusual for a couple of Vancouverites. Until you hear about the paths that brought them here. I was smoking crack cocaine and my life was going down the tube real fast. Perfect weather, eh? I never thought that this would have ever happen. Jonas literally lived the high life for years. His job on cruise ships led to a taste for heavy drinking that he couldn't shake. It landed him in this SRO in the downtown east side. Tom wasn't far. 
sleeping on this beach after a life of booze and drugs. Try to watch you, you don't trip. Both ended up at the Union Gospel Mission and have stayed sober for years now. And part of that is thanks to the mission's expeditions program that gets recovering addicts out of the city and into nature. Oh yeah, that's ice cold, eh? You have a chance to do a lot of thinking out here. Whereas in the city, in the downtown east side in that area, there's so much commotion going on. There's so much distraction going on. The transition from this to this has been incredibly transformative. Jack Wagner is an addictions counselor. We walk here and we watch them stop, point to things in nature, taking time to enjoy the beauty. You see men who've come alive. Union Gospel says their expeditions program is among the most successful they have for keeping people sober. And that while addiction is a terrible predator that respects no boundaries, nature too is an equal opportunity force, but with the power to lift. Now I don't want to ever go back to my addiction. It's just kind of like, no. Paul Johnson, Global News. A surprise for passengers on a recent flight. You won't believe who joined them for the ride. Also ahead, Russia revelations. U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions said to reveal what he knows. And why dad's diet could be bad for kids. You're listening to the Global News Hour at 6 on News Talk 980 CKNW. After a busy afternoon commute at the Lionsgate Bridge, traffic is eased off in both directions, two lanes northbound and one lane headed south right now, so traffic is a little bit busy off the North Shore on the approach. Want to own the road this summer? Get to know Mitsubishi's RVR and Lancer Black Editions, featuring smartphone display connectivity, black painted wheels, and aluminum pedals. Mitsubishi, built better, back better. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Less than a week after testimony by former FBI Director James Comey, current Attorney General Jeff Sessions will appear tomorrow before the Senate Intelligence Committee to talk about Russia. As Washington braces for that, the Trump administration released a bizarre video from today's cabinet meeting, which was immediately lampooned by the Democrats. Spending. President Trump face to face with Jeff Sessions. It's great to be here. The attorney general now preparing to break his silence on Russia, testifying in public before congressional investigators tomorrow, just days after James Comey addressed potential conflicts about Sessions' role in the controversy. We also were aware of facts that I can't discuss in an open setting that would make his continued engagement in a Russia-related investigation problematic. Will the White House invoke executive privilege? It depends on the scope of the questions, and it would be to get into a hypothetical at this point uh, would be premature. Sessions is likely to face bruising questions about his initial failure to disclose two meetings with the Russian ambassador and the possibility of a third that aides vigorously deny. When Sessions failed to disclose these meetings with the Russians, was it an honest mistake? Or was it part of a cover-up? Unfazed at his first full cabinet meeting, the president touting this claim. We've been about as active as you can possibly be and at a just about record-setting pace. Then an unusual scene, all the president's men and women showering the commander-in-chief with praise. I can't thank you enough for the, the privileges you've given me. I want to thank you for getting this country 
moving. We thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've given us to serve your agenda and the American people. The Senate's top Democrat on Twitter mocking the moment. Lucy, how'd we do on the Sunday show yesterday? Your tone was perfect. You were right on message. Michelle, how'd my hair look coming out of the gym this morning? You have great hair. Still hanging over the White House, the president's suggestion he has secret tapes of his conversations with Comey, who he accused of lying under oath. But tonight, despite bipartisan calls he come clean, no timetable for an answer. Jurors in the Bill Cosby sexual assault trial have begun deliberations on whether he drugged and molested a Canadian woman more than a decade ago. Cosby's wife, Camille, was at his side today for the first time during this trial. The comedian's lawyer told the court that Cosby and Toronto native Andrea Constant were lovers who had enjoyed secret romantic interludes. Prosecutors pointed to Cosby's own words, his earlier admission about groping Constant after giving her pills he knew could put her to sleep. Cosby chose not to take the stand. A conviction could send the 79-year-old to prison for the rest of his life. A special surprise for passengers on a flight from Atlanta to Washington, D.C. I love you, Jimmy Carter. Former President Jimmy Carter making his way down the aisle and greeting each passenger. This is apparently part of Carter's usual pre-flight routine. Well, we are all familiar with the saying, like father, like son. But a new Canadian study says when it comes to bad eating habits, it's more like, like father, like children. Linda Aylesworth reports. Larry Goldenberg is a doctor who practices what he preaches. If I told you that I could give you a pill that will decrease your risk of breast cancer, dementia, blood high blood pressure, prostate cancer, colon cancer, would you take that pill? Yeah, it's called exercise. Along with exercise, he recommends that his patients watch their diets and in so doing, keep their weight down. 70% of chronic illnesses in men can be corrected by upstream or earlier in life behavioral changes. But according to a recent study out of the University of Guelph, men who take care of themselves are also helping their children. It seems that children will follow their father's eating behaviors more than their mother's. So dads do have an impact on their kids. And when dad is overweight or obese, the children have a much greater chance of being obese themselves. According to another study, they're 10 times more likely to become obese. Whereas the flip was not the case. If the mother was obese and the father was thin, the kids tended to be thin. Uh, I've got three daughters, and if I had known about this 10, 15 years ago, Boy, I would have been a lot more careful about how he ate. Sometimes the sacrifices a father makes for the sake of his children can backfire. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> While they have been young, I actually kind of disregarded my eating habits. They deprioritize their own health to make time for their kids. But in deprioritizing their own health, they're actually setting an example that is a bad example for their kids. The moral of this story, eat right, if not for your own sake, then for your children. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Caught on video, a terrifying crash at an air show in France. The pilot survives what happened and how spectators came to the rescue. And up next, on the edge, Francis Spider-Man scales another skyscraper, this time giving us his perspective. 
You're listening to the Global News Hour at 6 with Chris Gales and Sophie Louie on News Talk 980 CKNW. More updates. Showers and gusty winds tomorrow afternoon. More details. What this looks like for the next three days. More perspective. Strong cold front sliced through the province last night. More highs, more lows, more weather. Global News. We are BC's weather. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A police officer questions the famous French Spider-Man after he free climbs another skyscraper. After the forecast, a view of his exploits that we rarely see. And it's not for the faint of heart, I'll just tell you that. A little mm-hmm. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our weather forecast and those uh, ongoing flood advisories. Christy? Yes, but there's been great news in the last couple of days. Sophie, things have receded. The uh, uh, rivers, streams, and Okanagan Lake receded slightly, and we are expecting them to continue to over the next little while. Uh, there still is snowpack out there, but things really have improved. There's one flood watch. That's for the southern parts of the BC Peace River. Otherwise, we're just talking about high stream flow advisories. And again, uh, conditions are certainly getting much better. And the reason for that is it has been pleasant out there and not a lot of rain and temperatures have been near seasonal as opposed to the real warmth that we were seeing not too long ago with a 30 degree weather temperatures have been a bit mid to upper 20s across the interior regions whereas along the coast we're at 20 degrees just a nice and comfortable now when we look at the bigger picture we've got a couple features that i want to point out an upper level low down in the south there and another one here the two are actually going to come close together this one traveling across the southern southeastern parts of the province late tomorrow. This one driving down into our region late Wednesday. In the meantime, tomorrow and Wednesday, we've just got a gentle onshore flow that's going to bring in a fair amount of cloud to the south coast. A slight chance of showers, but generally dry conditions. It's not until this one plummets down Wednesday night and into our Thursday that we expect to get wet once again. All right, BC Peace River or up into the northern regions, you will see mostly dry conditions, a chance of showers towards Prince Rupert. BC Peace River, a mix of sun and clouds, still some instability, so a slight risk of a thunderstorm for you tomorrow afternoon. That southeastern corner, that's that upper level low that's going to track up into your area, bringing a chance of showers late in the day tomorrow. Generally dry once again for the southern interior regions and across the south coast. A chance of showers in Tofino, Port Hardy, and out in the Fraser Valley tomorrow. A slight chance in the morning in all other regions, otherwise mainly cloudy skies with some breaks of sunshine towards the end of the day. So there's your five-day forecast. Two days of just light onshore flow, fair amount of cloud, slight chance of showers in the morning. Wednesday night into our Thursday wet, slight chance of showers once again Friday. It looks like we could break out of it late Friday. Happy birthday to Ava Stewart-Webb. She turned 102 yesterday. Rose Shamensky turned 104 today. And Bill Jackson, 100 years old. And there's your weather window for tonight from Renee. And this is just south of... um, Sorry, not Prince George. It should say Dees Lake. I apologize for that, Renee. Uh, but a beautiful shot of the mountains in the northwestern parts of our province. So, Looks very nice. Thank you very much, Christy. Well, the man known around the world as the French Spider-Man struck again today, this time in Spain, and this time he took us along. <laughs> 54-year-old Alain Robert scaled the 38-story uh, Agbar Tower in Barcelona, as usual, with nothing more than chalk and climbing shoes. 
Robera has climbed more than 100 buildings around the world, all of them with no net or safety equipment. Once he got to the top, in only 20 minutes, he was questioned by police and released. I am at the top. Oh, yeah, you are. I always wonder what the police ask him. Right. Like, really? What, what you, would you ask him? Uh, what, what do you... Yeah, it's like, uh, were you the guy who climbed up the building? Uh, yeah. yeah. But is, is it... You got me. So it's legal to do that? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. Well, then, so why aren't they arresting him? Well, I think sometimes he gets arrested, sometimes they give him a fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't think any police officer wants to climb up 30 floors after him and take him down. Yeah, <laughs> they let him do it. Yeah, they let him get to the, the top, top first. Buddy. It's like, they probably let him come right back down on the elevator. Okay, now we're going to talk to him. Oh, can you imagine looking no. down at that? This is the thing. Like, this this video is a little bit... It creeps me Stomach turning. Yeah, yes. it creeps me out. And I'm not even really afraid of heights, but I mean, I just, oh, I don't want to be there. That bit there. That is not, that is <laughs> the... And to stand, Don't look down. Like, you might want to get to the and like move in a little bit. Once you get to the top, when you want to move in away from the edge of to it, to the middle, the very middle of the building, then give it one of these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. not on the edge. Oh. Anyway, he made it, so we'll okay. see what he do, does next. All right. How about you? Uh, the highest I'll go up is this chair, and not much higher. <laughs> that's as high as it goes up too. So yeah, that's, that's why. I'm, that is why I'm not very tall because I'm afraid of heights. Right. Basically, uh, that's the reason. You were thinking. I was yeah, thinking smart. when I was young. Uh, okay, so the hockey season is over as far as the on-ice stuff is concerned. Now it really gets wild because Las Vegas has to uh, draft its team. So teams have to release guys or at least put them out there to be drafted by Las Vegas. No team can lose more than one guy. I think the guy the Canucks might lose, depending on who they let out, might be Lucas Pisa. Then, of course, the draft is coming up. You may see trades before the draft, so mm -hmm. a lot of things will be going on between now and the draft on the 23rd and 24th. But we're going to take one more look back at the Emperor Penguins' Stanley Cup win with some facts. <laughs> Such as, which one of these Penguins has won more Stanley Cups than any active player? Think of uh-huh. Also ahead, the shocking moment of vintage plane nosedives at an air show. What happened next? Good evening. It's Simi Sarah. You are listening to Global News Hour at 6 on News Talk 980 CKNW. Takes did we have to do for that? Is there actually even a ball down there? <laughs> I heard the sound. Oh, there's Could a have ball. been like sound effects. Uh, oh no, we're totally kidding. Chris was at the golf course today for a good cause and some enjoyment, obviously. It was the UBC VGH Hospital Foundation Harry Rosen Tournament for Life in support of the Vancouver Prostate Center. That tournament has raised more than $3.4 million to date. Oh, I thought he was going to flex or something. <laughs> All right. We didn't see where that ball went. No, though. I'm still not sure there was actually a ball. I think that was a very, very impressive practice it swing. It looked like a good swing. Well, it was a very good practice swing. <laughs> Usually the practice swings are much better than the real That's swings. True. Not just for him, but for oh. most golfers, yeah. 
Okay, so if you ever need a priceless chalice moved, just call Sidney Crosby. He's had lots of practice lifting those things over his head. He's had quite a calendar year, won the Stanley Cup yesterday, was named MVP, did the exact same thing last June, and in between those NHL championships, he led Canada to the World Cup. He is definitely now one of the greats of the game. Is he the greatest ever? Well, you're comparing different eras. I will say this, though. It's a tougher era in many ways. Way harder to score on than in the 80s and 90s. The goalies are much better now. The defenses are tougher. But Crosby is still scoring. He's still dominating in his era. Weird little fact. The salary cap is and was meant to give every team an equal chance to win the cup. But since 2009, only four different teams have won the Stanley Cup. Pittsburgh's won three. Chicago has won three. The Kings have won twice. And the Bruins, of course, beat the Canucks in 2011 for their win in that stretch. Okay, that was a fun fact, wasn't it? Well, here are some more fun facts to wrap up another Pittsburgh Penguins championship. The Pittsburgh Penguins have done it again. Back-to-back Stanley Cup victories. So, Alfonso Davies will be in the lineup. I don't know about the starting lineup, but he'll be in the lineup when Canada plays Curacao tomorrow in a friendly game in Montreal. This is a game Canada should win. I love this. 16-year-old Whitecap, who just became a Canadian citizen. Because it's not a powerhouse team, he might get some time on the pitch. I sure hope to see him. Well, we haven't seen him in a BC Lions uniform yet, but we have seen him before in the CFL. Lions new kicker, Swayze Waters. A name that sounds like a place where you go to get healed. My back was sore, I went and took a dip in the Swayze waters and now I feel great. He is here to remedy the Lions kicking situation that went a bit wobbly last year when Richie Leone's punting skills didn't quite match his field goal kicking skills. Actually, it's the other way around. His field goal kicking skills didn't quite match his punting skills. So, BC brought in Swayze. When you're the new guy on a new team, usually not many of your teammates have heard of you, unless you have a catchy name like Swayze Waters. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I say it all the time. You know, I thought it was a sweet name. Swayze was cool. I thought it was kind of smooth, you know, like blues or something. Like, you know. Now I know what you're thinking right now. He must be named after that other famous Swayze. Oh, Patrick Swayze, and I thought Roadhouse, and then uh, Swayze came, Swayze Waters came out, and I said, this is nothing like Roadhouse, this is more like Dirty Dancing. But he actually doesn't owe his name to the Dirty Dancing star, even though it's usually the first question he's asked in every city he's played in. Yeah, it became a joke after a while, I just started telling people my mom actually was a huge Patrick Swayze fan, but it's really a family name, it's my great-grandmother's maiden name, so, you know, in the South, that's how... That's how we do it, keep the family names and family, and so it uh, just happens to be a little unique. 
And what's been unique is Waters' football journey to BC. After bouncing between three NFL teams where he didn't really get much of a chance, he headed north, stuck with the Argos for four seasons where he won a great cup. But then, another kick at the can down south, this time with Carolina. After only one preseason game, the Panthers have sent him home. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, but Waters did take advantage of another opportunity, reality TV being featured on the NFL Network's show, Undrafted. Yeah, that was uh, really strange. I, you know, I wasn't expecting to get that opportunity. Um, didn't know if I wanted to do it at first, but we decided uh, that it would be, you know, something good to do, and um, it was it was really fun. Uh, surprisingly, you know, you're kind of nervous. You don't know how they're going to tell your story, and you hope they tell it accurately, but I think they did a great job, so it was a great experience. And he's hoping that NFL experience translates to success in his first season with the Lions. Chanel Pertap, Global Sports. Game five. Is this the night Kevin Durant and the Warriors celebrate a championship? Well, Durant's giving the ball away there. That's not going to help. LeBron James can't make it go. Tristan Thompson taps it in. Good start for the Cavs. Forcing Steph Curry to go at the basket and not shoot the three. But he can do that. He can go to the basket. Last time we checked, Cleveland up by six. They're giving Golden State a run early in the second quarter. There you go. Just adjusting my chair. Oh, well, you adjust away. All right, thank you. We Marin. want you to be comfortable. Exactly, thank You're you. You're sitting here the longest. <laughs> thank you, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks so much, Sophie. The BCSPCA has launched an investigation after undercover video shows abuse at a poultry farm in Chilliwack. And we're hearing from a friend uh, of the man killed in a car accident near Golden last week. He talks about the victim, Ahmad Shalot. How this journey was supposed to be about healing after his wife was killed trying to stop a gas and dash two years ago. He was on his way to Calgary to honor her when tragedy struck. How he is being remembered. We'll have that and much more coming up tonight at 11. So. All right. Thanks for that, Jay. A frightening crash at an air show. How the pilot owes his life to the spectators. Next. You're listening to the Global News Hour at 6 on News Talk 980 CKNW. All right, we have some remarkable video for you out of France. It's of an air show crash. It's okay, it turned out all right. Just want to tell you right off the top because of the group effort to free the pilot. Take a look. Yikes. Not good, right? Second World War's Spitfire's nose dipped and the plane pitched forward and flipped during takeoff, trapping the pilot underneath. First handful of people who scrambled to the rescue waved frantically for more help. And a few minutes later, about two dozen people worked together and actually managed to lift the plane up enough for the pilot to be dragged to safety. Why did they all run there? Why did Well, to help them? No, they were running away from them. Oh, I didn't see that. Okay, well, he wasn't seriously injured, but a person <laughs> in the crowd was hit by yeah. some flying debris. I smell gas, run! Okay, we can go back. Yeah. That could be it, too. You yeah. don't want to watch for that. Uh, it's a special day here, by the way. It is. Happy birthday. What happened? We have a special picture. Oh, that guy over there. Oh. Oh, my goodness. What year was that? Uh, that's not even me. <laughs> <laughs> that's some was guy. Was that your Prime Stoppers photo? Uh, no. <laughs> my big goggles moment. Happy birthday.